thousands of students apply to UC Berkeley every year. It's one of the most applied to universities in the entire United States. I applied for biology for all my UCs. I applied to UC Berkeley for computer science. It's my top choice school. And that's ultimately where I want to go. But the city of Berkeley is also emblematic of our nationwide housing crisis. Simply put, there are too few houses available to buy, and those on the market are too expensive. Housing supply was limited even before the pandemic began in 2020. Which is why residents and the university have been locked in a battle over enrollment numbers. The legal fight is just the latest iteration of an eternal struggle tension between residents and students and the perpetual beef over who matters more in college towns, the townies or the gownies. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, March 18th, 2022. Today, the battle over Berkeley and the future growth of its iconic school and what that means for college towns everywhere. Teresa Watanabe covers higher education for the Los Angeles Times, and she's been covering this still developing story. Teresa, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Town and Gown, it's not a plot point out of, oh, whatever your favorite college film is, Animal House or Old School or Neighbors with Seth Rogen and Zac Efron. The tension between residents and college students is real, but it rarely gets into lawsuits like what's happening in Berkeley. So what's that lawsuit about and who filed it? Yeah, well, to sum up four years of litigation in a couple of sentences, the legal fight at Berkeley really involves the question as to whether Berkeley adequately reviewed the impact of enrollment growth on the surrounding neighborhoods, noise, homelessness, housing displacement. And Berkeley, since 2005, said that it was going to add about 33,450 more students But by 2017, a local neighborhood group called Save Berkeley's Neighborhoods learned that they had actually enrolled 30% more. And so they sued to force Berkeley to assess the impact of adding 11,000 more students than they had projected. So Berkeley did conduct the review and then they found that there was no impact. And so the community group, along with the city of Berkeley, then filed another lawsuit in 2019, asking the judge to order Berkeley to conduct another review. And in the meanwhile, they were told to freeze enrollment until they had finished that review. So the litigation was spearheaded by Phil Bakavoy and his group, Save Berkeley's Neighborhoods. Family homes uh, that were coming on the market were being converted into what are called mini dorms. So they were, you know, one of the students is sharing a 110 square foot room with another person. And, And we really felt that the university needed to take responsibility for building housing. So that ruling that the judge made, how did UC Berkeley initially respond to it? Well, they basically freaked out about 150,000 applicants by announcing that they were going to have to cut their incoming fall class by about one third or 3,050 students. And it's tough enough to get into Berkeley. Their acceptance rate is only 14.5%. So when Berkeley announced they were going to make this massive cut, it just really put students and families on edge. 
UC Berkeley first sent out an email to all of their applicants. And when I got that email, I was really scared. I talked to a few college seniors in the LA area, like Christina Sanchez. At first, it was like notice about admissions. And so I thought, oh, maybe they released decisions early. But when I started reading the email further, and they started saying on how they would have to cut down like admission by a pretty large percentage, I was pretty nervous. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of frustration, um, disbelief. People were shocked. The students said they were shocked when they heard the news. And there was also a sense of it being very unfair because they had worked so hard for so long to try to get the good grades in order to qualify for Berkeley. And then to see this happen through no fault of their own really hit a lot of the students hard. Eric Shit, McCarthy, Tyler Tran, and Nicholas Tran told me how nerve-wracking it was for them. The first thing that came was probably fear, a lot of fear about ultimately, what are my backup options if I don't get in? Obviously, that was always kept in mind, but all of a sudden that fear grew a little more rampant because all of a sudden they're cutting, what was it, like almost a third of freshman undergraduate admissions. So we're just like, you know, like, whoa, that's, that's very scary just to think about, right? I really thought that I didn't have a chance to get in because of the enrollment drops. Because I know computer science is a really impacted major there, so I knew it would be hard to get in with my major originally, so dropping a bunch of admissions would make it a lot harder. I was just kind of worried about my odds of getting in or not. Yeah, same thing for me. Some of our friends actually got the Regents scholarship offer, so they got theirs early. And then we found out, like, around the same time that they were going to drop 5,000 students. So I thought, you know, if they had already accepted this number of kids and then they were rejecting that number, how many spots are left? So I just, I didn't really think of UC Berkeley as an option after that. I'm sure the Save Berkeley Neighborhoods group was ecstatic with all these decisions going in their favor. They were very happy and they felt really justified because Phil Bakavoy and his group feels that they also have been unfairly targeted as NIMBYs and, you know, people trying to prevent these hardworking, deserving students from getting an education. They made a huge public relations effort to characterize this as people trying to deny students admission to the university. When in fact, what the issue was about the university's, not just its failure to provide housing, they haven't even started working on the environmental analysis that the judge ordered them to do last August. So I think a lot of people think it's unfair that the university focused on a motivation that doesn't exist. I mean, our motivation has been from the very beginning to make the university make a legally binding commitment to build housing for its students. Already a very competitive school, and then it gets even more competitive, just nobody really wants to hear that, right? Especially when you've been working every day so hard to achieve this sort of dream. All in a moment's notice, it's just it's a lot of fear and a bit of anger towards like the situation that's going on because you can't help but feel like there's nothing that you can do about it. Like, you feel helpless. UC Berkeley appealed that lower court decision, 
but then a higher court didn't rule on their side either. What happened there? Well, the University of California lost in both the Court of Appeal and the California Supreme Court. And one problem is that UC made a legal error in not asking for a stay of that enrollment freeze at the same time they appealed the ruling. They said they thought it would be an automatic stay and they were mistaken. And so they didn't ask for it until five months after the ruling. And I think that was a problem. Two of the Supreme Court justices did side with Berkeley, saying that this would devastate students and also undermine the state's interest in producing more college-educated Californians. But the rest of the court didn't agree with them and did decline to issue that stay. More after the break. And we're back with L.A. Times education reporter Teresa Watanabe. So, Teresa, students who had applied to Berkeley were worried about not being allowed to enroll because of that judge's ruling. Students who were enrolled were worrying about overcrowded housing. UC Berkeley feared financial problems. But then the UC system and the school, they figured out some admissions workaround. And then on top of that, California lawmakers actually recently swooped in to help. So, What were those workarounds against the findings of the lawsuit and how and why are lawmakers helping the school? Berkeley went into overdrive trying to figure out how they could admit as many students as possible. So they announced that they would offer about 1,000 first-year students online courses for fall semester. And then they also announced that they would offer deferred admission to about 650 transfer students. So they would still be admitted, they just wouldn't be able to go and have that in-campus experience for the first fall semester. But all of that is moot now because the legislature rushed through a rescue bill and Governor Newsom signed it on Monday. And this will allow Berkeley to resume its original enrollment plans. They will be offering admission to 15,000 happy students. They see this as a state's interest in trying to produce as many college graduates as possible because it is projected there will be a 1.1 million shortfall in the number of college graduates by 2030. And these are people who will be needed to continue to power the California economy. And the students you talked to were really ecstatic about this. It was Like a very big weight had been lifted off my shoulders and the idea that like, okay, I wouldn't have to worry about this aspect now. I can just worry about like, oh, hopefully like my application was enough to get me in. We found out through text because our college counselor actually sent it to our group chat we have. And it was pretty exciting to find out that I have a chance to get in now. I felt mostly relieved after hearing it because I kind of dropped it from my mind. I didn't really want to think about it because I didn't think I was going to get it. And then even after I found out, I don't know how I feel about it still, because after they talked about reducing admissions, I just kind of gave up on Berkeley. The school's happy thanks to the lawmakers helping them out, but the neighborhood group that filed the original lawsuit against UC Berkeley those problems are still going to persist between them and the school. Do you think a more significant student enrollment cap would have solved any of those big, longstanding issues? 
Well, I think everyone, including the Berkeley Community Group, agrees that it's a good idea to enroll as many California students as possible and give them a shot at college. And the issue is really providing enough affordable campus housing for them. There has been a huge shortage statewide of housing for college students, not only in the UC system, but also the Cal State system. And finally, the legislature is starting to step in in a pretty major way. They are providing $2 billion in housing grants this year. And there is pending legislation right now to also offer a $5 billion zero interest revolving fund that will help campuses save a lot of money on debt service so they can funnel that money instead into more campus housing. Teresa, last fall, you wrote about California college students who were actually living in their vans because of the housing crunch. So it's definitely not just, quote, townies who are suffering because of our state's lack of adequate affordable housing. Oh, that's right. At the end of the day, it is the students who are suffering the most. I was at UC Santa Barbara last year and I interviewed students who were living in motels and one student, Chris Hotchkitz, who was actually living in his van and he had to suffer a leaky roof and power outages that shut down his refrigerator for six weeks. And of course, he had no shower or toilet. UC Santa Barbara is trying to address that, but their proposal built a 4,500 bed mega dorm with tiny rooms and no windows has sparked national outrage. And, you know, it's being dissed as dormzilla. So, you know, it's just, there's no easy answers here. Yeah, that concern is really weighing on students. Some of the students that you talk to even worried about probably having to do remote learning just because of that on-campus capacity. I think one of my main concerns would definitely be housing because I've heard that's a pretty big issue there. I also heard that some students are being admitted, but they're having their first semester online, which is something I'm a little worried about. I really don't want to go college online. It would probably make just the social life a lot harder. It's pretty hard to meet people in your first year if you're doing half of your things at home. We had been asked, like, if we were to be in that predicament, would you still choose Berkeley? And I had been, like, very hesitant just because, like, being online was something that, like, I did not want to do again because of, like, my experience with it during the pandemic. It was very bad for my grades. For first years, they have housing available. And from there, I think I'll just live off campus because I don't think there really is an option to live on campus after that first year. Because I've heard from other current Berkeley students that were from this school. They say that, yeah, you know, they're going to have to move out next year and look for you know, housing in that market. But it does trust me as a concern, but it's just, it's, Berkeley is just such a fabulous, wonderful school, both in its like reputation and its rigor, that I, I just, I, I don't think I can turn it down just because of a housing crisis. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Teresa, it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't for colleges and housing. Let students run off campus, town residents get mad. Build more student dorms, and residents still get mad. So do you see more lawsuits like the one in Berkeley happening in other college towns? You know, it all depends on the campus and the community and the building plans. 
So for instance, UCLA has gone on a recent housing construction spree, but they haven't faced litigation because the neighbors like the fact that they are building these campus housing units on campus. As a result, it's uh, lessening traffic, it's lessening the need for parking, it's lessening pollution because students who live on campus don't need cars. On the other hand, at UC Santa Cruz, there is litigation because the campus wants to build a student family housing unit on a meadow that environmentalists are challenging because they want to keep that meadow open. So again, there are some campuses that are not facing litigation and others that are. I think there's a strong community interest in campuses building housing. And even Phil Bakavoy's group has made several proposals for sites that they think would work. There's an ideal site that's a decrepit 1950s parking deck with tennis courts on top on all four sides is surrounded by student housing. And when I raised the, well, this site would be shovel ready in a month because all they have to do is tear down the parking garage. I was told by the vice chancellor that, well, we can't start building there because we don't know how we're going to replace the parking. And, you know, here's a university that's claiming that all this development is like greenhouse gas neutral, and yet they're not putting housing on parking lots because they're concerned about fewer people being able to drive to the campus. Phil also said in his statement that he and his group want to settle the lawsuit that they filed against UC Berkeley. What is he asking for and what's the likelihood of a settlement like what he wants to happen? Well, Phil's group wants a legally binding agreement to tie enrollment growth to the production of student housing. UC Berkeley hasn't agreed to do so. Other campuses like UC Davis have managed to come to agreement with their communities. But the legislation that the governor signed this week removes the requirement that campuses have to consider the impact of enrollment in their environmental reviews and consider instead the broader group of campus population, which includes faculty and staff. This was a deliberate effort to remove the grounds for litigation over student enrollment. So whether Phil's demands will be met is very questionable, especially now with this new law. We've been willing to settle since 2017, but the university, as you can tell, is not interested in settling. They went to the legislature to escape I think that the best thing I can say about all our efforts in the court case is that the legislature is paying attention now. I would have preferred that the legislation have a requirement in it for UC to build the housing before they continue to increase enrollment. And I think that in many ways, lifting the enrollment cap is going to hurt a lot of students because they're going to come here and not be able to find a place to live. We'd like to see them do an honest and transparent environmental impact report on the impact of the campus growth and propose legally enforceable a mitigation package on these impacts that uh, makes a difference in the community for both the students and the people who live in the community.
So as the lawsuit that, say, Berkeley's neighborhoods filed continues in the courts, Berkeley, the city and Berkeley, the school, they've announced plans for interim and long term housing solutions for students at a community park. What are they? Yeah, this project is a real example of UC Berkeley working collaboratively with the city and nonprofits uh, to provide housing. And so what they have done is come to an agreement to build both student housing, about a thousand units and permanent supportive housing for the formerly unhoused and low-income community members, they'll get about 100 units of not only housing, but also services, mental health services, and different wellness services. And so this is really a way that they are trying to resolve all of these various conflicts and tensions and also address the needs in the community for housing. And this is happening at the iconic People's Park, which has a huge history of being the center of free speech rights and activism. I really want to see how this all plays out. I think it's a positive that they're making an effort to house the homeless, but they're only putting them in a hotel for like 18 months. And that's not a solution. That's like a short-term solution to get them out of the way. What I didn't see in the proposal was how they plan to find housing, permanent housing, for people who are moved from People's Park. Finally, if this partnership between Berkeley the school and Berkeley the city works out, is that a way forward to solve the eternal problem between town and gown? Well, it definitely shows one way forward. It's definitely a step in the right direction. But these fights have been going on for decades, so it's probably safe to assume that they're not going to stop. I think one of the big things is losing like the stability there. Because I know even if I did get in and I won, and then they tried something like this in the future, I personally wouldn't be affected by it. But it's just the idea of how this, something like this would affect the school culture. Because you're not sure whether next year the same thing is going to happen. It's just kind of scary when that's still up in the air. Teresa, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, hearings kick off over President Biden's Supreme Court pick, Disney's inaction over Florida's so-called don't say gay bill, and more random randomness. Ashley Brown was a hef on this episode, and our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz, our editor is Kinsey Morgan. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Epin. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us to put you podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news in this month. Gracias. <laughs>